The following audio is from Cross Life Church in Tampa, Florida. We are a church that exists to help people find Christ, their place in the body, and their mission to the world. Our calling is to raise leaders and plant churches. So if you live in the Hudson area or near Wester Chapel, you can also check us out at one of our other locations. For more information, visit us at crosslife.net. So far, we've gone through the first five verses of the Gospel of John in chapter 1, and I got to thinking about Ian's giggling. I can cover them, and nothing flat, no. I got to thinking, uh, John begins his gospel, this letter, by giving heaven's testimony of Jesus. Here's the true picture of who Jesus is. Here's the testimony. Here's heaven's testimony of Jesus, that he was the word from the beginning. He was with God from the very beginning, and him was life, and that life was light of all mankind, and that light shines into the darkness. Now, beginning in verse 6, we get to see earth's testimony of Jesus, because it begins this way. So the first one was John just saying, look, in the beginning, here's the story. Now he drops down to, in the beginning of the testimony of Jesus Christ here on earth, here's how it all starts. So it says that, verse uh, 6 says, there was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to testify concerning that light, so that through him all might believe. He himself was not that light. He came only as a witness to the light. So we see that John the Baptist, he was sent from God. And so, so let's look at this uh, kind of a timeline. You have uh, God spoke his last message to his people Israel in the book of Malachi. And he gave this promise that he was going to send a messenger. And so <clears throat> he spoke this to Israel through Malachi that he was going to send this messenger. In Malachi chapter 3, verse 1, he says this, Behold, I am going to send my messenger, and he will clear the way before me. And so he's speaking of, we know now, he's speaking of John the Baptist. But the very last two verses of Malachi, the very last words recorded in our Bibles, in the Old Testament, in Malachi, verses, chapter 4, verses 5 and 6. And he says, behold, or pay attention, I'm going to send you Elijah the prophet before the coming and great terrible day of the Lord. And he shall turn the heart of the fathers to the children and the heart of the children to their fathers, lest I come and smite the earth with a curse. Next, what we have, as we know, what is called 400 years of silence from God, no messengers, no prophetic voice. So 400 years from that word until God speaks again to his people. And so the very first scene that we have in our New Testament scriptures is the accounting of an angel of the Lord coming into the temple to speak to a man named Zechariah, a priest, Zechariah, concerning this messenger, concerning this promise 
So he just like picks up 400 years later and God is fulfilling his promise. And we find it in Luke chapter 1 verse uh, 11 through 17 where he says, an angel of the Lord appeared to Zachariah and said, your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son. He will be great in the sight of the Lord. He will bring back many of the people of Israel to the Lord their God. And he will go on before the Lord in the, spirit of Elijah, in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the parents of the children to the disobedient, to the wisdom of the righteous, to make ready a people prepare for the Lord. So I, always, I think it's interesting how God is just really specific about a lot of things, and a lot of times we miss it, uh, but every once in a while God just helps us see stuff. So God begins to speak to his people again after this accounting in Malachi, after 400 years, and he begins it with a visit to Zechariah, the priest. What's, what captures my attention is Zechariah means, the name Zechariah means God remembers. Now, I don't know about you, that just kind of, that just kind of blows me away. God speaks, says he's, he gives his promise, he says, I'm going to send you a messenger. 400 years later, God shows up, God speaks about the messenger, and he speaks through Zechariah the prophet to say, listen, I remember my promise. In 400 years time, look, listen, I, I can just tell you right now, for us, 40 days is tricky. Four years. 40 years, imagine... 400 years later, and God just shows up, and, and to me, it's kind of emphatic, God's going. Because we have to understand, to the Jewish people, names mattered. Names mattered. And so, I think for them, I don't think anybody missed that, that God was saying to them, hey, I, I remember. I have not forgotten. And so we see from Matthew chapter 11, verses 9 through 14, when Jesus is speaking about John the Baptist. He says, when you went out into the wilderness, what did you go out to see? A prophet? Yes, I tell you. And more than a prophet. This is the one whom it is written. I will send my messenger ahead of you, who will prepare your way before you. I tell you, among those born of women, there, was not, there has not risen anyone greater than John the Baptist. Before John the Baptist came, the law of Moses and the prophets told about these things that would happen. And if you believe what they said, then John is Elijah. This is coming from Jesus' mouth. Then John is Elijah. He is the one they said would come. So when you think about it, just like Jesus said, apart from, apart from Jesus, John is probably one of the most theological, significant people in the New Testament. And the reason is, is because John is a pivotal figure. So you have Malachi speaking 400 years of silence. You have the Old Covenant 
Now you have God beginning and this new agreement, this new covenant, and it's going to be through Jesus, but it's going to be through Jesus because of this messenger that is going to go ahead of him. So you see, it's almost like we don't yet know, they did not yet know this was the beginning of a new agreement. They didn't know that it was now a shift and it was going to be the ushering of the kingdom. And God does it through His promise of this messenger that will come. He was the one who would be the voice crying in the wilderness to prepare the way of the Lord. So, John, again, forms this link, just connects it. John and the prophecy to Zechariah concerning his son just connects this thing together and God just begins to move on. So let me just ask you, what, got, got any thoughts about that? Anybody? Got any thoughts about that, Aaron? Well, the beauty of having internet on your phone is you can look up anything you want. And so we just looked it up. The name John means Yahweh is gracious. So I was thinking about how, so Zachariah doesn't really believe and he is then mute while while John is in utero. And then when he's born, they name him John. And the women are upset because John's not a name from their family and they're, you have to name him after somebody in your family. And Zachariah says his name is John. That's like the first thing he says. So it's interesting that God sends a message to somebody whose name is God remembers and the son's name is Yahweh is gracious. Mm. It's very interesting. Somebody else? Yeah, so we we had talked some about this on Friday. Um, All of the... It's like John comes along and reminds us that it's all about Jesus. Right, so it's uh, I call it, the, you know, the reset um, and the refocus. It's he goes back and says, "In the beginning was," and he says, "Today he is," and then of course John carries on to, as you just mentioned, to write first, second, third John, Revelation, right? And this is who he will be, and this is who we can be with Christ. Um, so it's a, a revelation, it's a reminder, it's a resetting. Um, and again, it's tied in, I think I said this earlier, don't really remember up there, um, that the light in the beginning, Jesus is the light, and the light at the end of the story is the radiance of Christ, right, of the Lamb. And, and so it's just, I think to everybody, it's just saying, God remembers, um, and this has always been the plan. And it's always been about Jesus. I think that's good for us to remember. You know, sometimes God speaks to us, and then it seems like he's a little pokey at fulfilling whatever he said to us. I think a lot of times we need to just keep in mind uh, the faithfulness of God in our life. He's going to fulfill all that he's spoken And if he's spoken to you specifically about things, God has every intention on fulfilling very specific things that he's spoken to you about. 
I think that's, uh, for me, that's, that's good for me to remember because often we can forget, right? Any other thoughts? All right, so God's picking back up where he left off through this messenger. Verse 7 says, so verse 6 is, and so God sent, there was a man who was sent from God whose name was John. Verse 7 says, now he came as a witness. And he came as a witness to witness. That's how it is in the Greek. He came as a witness to witness. He came as a witness to testify concerning that light that he talked about before. That light, which we know is Jesus, so that through him all might believe. And of course, this is John's encouragement. He said, I'm writing this so that you might believe that Jesus is the Messiah, and that by believing in him you might have life through his name. So here he says that he came to testify concerning that light, so that through him all might believe. And then John says, he himself, John the Baptist, was not the light. He came, uh, he came only, he came only as a witness to the light. Now I said before, if I don't know, maybe you don't see it this way, but verse 1 through 5 is like, here's heaven's testimony about who Jesus is, and now we start, here's earth's testimony of who Jesus is. After he's come, this is, here's the testimony of Jesus Christ, and he starts at the beginning with John, because that's where it all started, with John the Baptist. So, we're going to read here in a few verses, but it really goes through verse 34, this testimony about uh, John the Baptist in general, and then John the Baptist specifically to the Jews, uh, his testimony. But So a witness, uh, you know, is someone who has information or knowledge of something that can bring to light or confirm something. How many have ever had to be a witness in court? You had to tell your story, this is what I saw, this is what happened. In its most basic sense, it really, it does refer to this legal accounting. Here is the witness. Here is the testimony. And so this testimony is this solemn, truthful declaration or affirmation made for the purpose of establishing or approving some fact. So John says, here's heaven account. Here's the fact of who Jesus is. Now I'm going to give you the facts of who Jesus is from an earthly account. I'm going to establish. And remember, uh, John goes through a lot of signs uh, to point to who Jesus is. And really, John the Baptist, in many ways, just his coming was a sign to the nation of Israel. That's why the Jews were going, who are you? And he goes, I'm a voice of one crying in the wilderness. It was a sign pointing back to I'm the one that God said he would send concerning making a way for Messiah. And so John's coming really bore record to the fact of who Jesus was by revealing that John was God's messenger who he had promised about 400 years earlier. And so John 
wasn't the one to be seen. Remember, he said, I need to decrease. He must increase. It's not about me. I'm just a voice. I'm just here to, to speak. I'm here as a sign. I'm here to point you to. It's not about me. It's about him. Something we need to understand for ourselves. <clears throat> so John came to bear witness, to declare or affirm the fact that the word was Jesus, the light. He was the Messiah. Anybody have any thoughts about a witness, about being a witness? Comes to your mind when you think about a witness, or even here, that John came as a witness to testify about Jesus. Yes, uh, our entire human history, completely, is based on witnessing from the very beginning to the end. It's as simple as that. And the word witness is so huge in our life. It's, it's like the key to pointing to Jesus because even the greatest historical moment in life, which is the resurrection of Jesus Christ, had witnesses. And the word witness here means somebody had to have witnessed that for people to believe in Something that we need to understand what we're supposed to be witness of because we were discussing this on, on Friday. We're ambassadors. Ambassadors of Christ are witnesses of Christ. But our job is not just to take what we have witnessed and keep it for ourselves. Our job is to let others know about that, which is what exactly God is doing through, the, through John, through John the Baptist here. He's, because he's the forerunner of something amazing that is happening in, in this world. Okay. Anybody else? All right. Let's move on. Verse 9. <clears throat> so it says that he wasn't the light. He came only to bear witness of the light. Verse 9 says, the true light. I think it's interesting how just, you know, he came to be witness of the light, and then John says, no, I, the true light. He came to bear witness of the true light that gives light to everyone who was coming into the world. So when John uses this, uh, the first thing I think about is the same way that Jesus said, he didn't say, I'm the bread from heaven. He says, I'm the true bread from heaven. And so we know from uh, Exodus and the, the time through the wilderness that Israel was fed manna or bread from heaven. And the bread from heaven was simply just a foreshadowing of an ultimate reality that was to come. And so, Jesus was the ultimate reality of the bread from heaven. And in the same way, he was the ultimate reality of the light that God was sending into the world. So he is, to me, John's point is, this is what's real or genuine. And his point is that the word who came into the world is the light, the true light, the genuine. And we talked about light being revelation, helping us to see the genuine and ultimate revelation or self-disclosure of God to humanity. So we have this progressive revelation of who God is, and then we get to the New Testament. And Jesus said, if you're seeing me, you've seen who? You've seen the Father. If, you, if you're seeing me, that's really, can you imagine how that hit the Jews? If you're seeing me, you're seeing God. They didn't like that very much. 
And so Isaiah foretells about this. There's a lot of scripture that foretell about the coming of Jesus, but specifically Isaiah chapter 9, verse 2, he says, the people who walk in darkness will see a great light. Those who live in, the dark, in a dark land, the light will shine on them. Now, something that tripped the Jews up that we know about is that this light, this light gives life, but it gives light to everyone, not just the Jews. It was to everyone. And Isaiah prophesied about it in Isaiah chapter 42, verse 6, when he says, speaking uh, God's word, he said, I am the Lord, I have called you in righteousness. I will also hold you by the hand and watch over you. And I will point you as a covenant to the people, as a light to the nations, as a light to the nations, to open blind eyes, to bring out prisoners from the dungeon and those who dwell in darkness from the prison to set captives free. Speaking of the spiritual bondage that humanity will be in because of sin and Satan. Now remember when Joseph and Mary brought Jesus into the temple to dedicate him and they ran into a man named Simeon. And here's the accounting again. This is this was Jesus wasn't just to be light to the Jews, but to be light to the nations, to all of humanity. He came for that reason. And in verse, uh, I can't remember what chapter it is, but when he's speaking, Simeon says, "This sovereign Lord, as you have promised." You may now dismiss your servant in peace, for my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all nations, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for the glory of your people Israel. And so, just in these first verses, it's, uh, you see that talks about Jesus. John states that Jesus was the true light. He was. In the beginning was. And then we see that the light was coming and now the light has come. And we read in John chapter 1 verse 14 the word became flesh and dwelt among us. Clarity exactly this is Jesus and he has come. And it suggests that just this whole idea reveals to us that from the sense, the beginning of the world, this true light was, and it's been coming in some form, type or shadow in prophecy, and his coming has now reached a culmination. And this is what John is trying to point out. He said, from the very beginning, before ever creation, he was there. And God was revealing in types and shadows and prophecies. He was coming into the world. And all that He had said from way back before the beginning is here. He has come. Jesus has come. Now, I remember when uh, I was in verse 1 and I was looking at, uh, in the beginning was the word, and I, and I make comment that this word was is in, the imper- is in a tense in the Greek, it's called the imperfect tense. And the reason that's important is because it conveys a past activity that was more than just a simple action in some way. But there is, it suggests an ongoing aspect of what had been said or is being said. 
So the imperfect tense is used to describe an action seen as a process. So just the words, say, in the beginning, was, suggests that it wasn't just a one-time deal, but there was this process which was unfolding from the past. And so we need to understand that the Word, the life, the light, Jesus, He always was. And the Word, the light, the life, Jesus was always coming. And that here John is saying the Word, the light, the life, Jesus, well, He's here. And it was in God's mind all along for Jesus to come and bring the redemption of all things. It was always in God's mind from the very beginning. And, and all that He's done to move forward from then to here. And so, remember when we were talking some time back and we were talking about prophecy? And we talked about so many things about what God said He was going to do, God did. So we look back, we stand here, even if you just take this little simple piece of Malachi and how he said he was going to send a messenger and he's going to prepare a way before the Lord, and then 400 years later, there it is. He fulfilled it. But we look back and we said, God said he was going to do it and God did it. And we went over example after example after example. Now what we have to do, or we should do, is stand here and just look forward into eternity. And God said... And he will. I don't know about you, but that's just super encouraging to me to know that God has not missed a beat. He's got this timetable. He's got his plans. He's got his purposes. He will fulfill. All these things are going to be true, come to pass. If we were to have, if Jesus were to come right now, we would just be blown away up in the air going, Can you believe it? I mean, it's just going to be such a reality. When you die, when you breathe your last breath, that is just, that's just a new beginning. I don't know how many of you have thought about what it's going to be like when that takes place in your life. You pass from this life into the other. Eternity. The reality of it. But God, this is, God said this is going to take place and it is going to be fulfilled. And as John is walking through this, it's almost like he's, he's hammering the point home to the reader about who Jesus is, who he was from the very beginning, and the witness that we have from heaven and the witness that we have on earth. And as you move forward into the gospel of John... He just keeps unfolding that witness because that's a, big, that's a big word in the Gospel of John, witness. And he uses a lot of accountings of men and women to give that testimony about who Jesus was. All right. Any comments? Any thoughts? You know, I'm going to share with you, uh, I'm not so sure I was I've written something here, and then after I looked at it, I said, well, that can't be me. I'm not that good. So, but maybe at the end it is a little bit of me saying something. But as far as verses 9, uh, 9 to 13, I've seen this written. I thought it was so good. It's, it's a deeper thinking. And the author writes, Christ gives light to every man. This does not mean universal salvation 
or general revelation or even inner illumination. Instead, it means that Christ as a light shines on each person either in salvation or in illuminating him with regard to his sin and coming judgment. Then I write, I think this is me, a little bit of it. He was in the world of men. The world did not know him because of the blinding power of sin. And we're talking about that on Friday. How can they not know who he was? We keep forgetting, pastor's right, how the blinding power of sin can even blind those that are believers. Yeah, I would just say, um, looking at all this and going to 1 John, um, just the first chapter even, uh, talks on what Tony just touched on, is, you know, 1 John 1, 3, we proclaim to you what we have seen and heard, so that you may also have fellowship with with us, right? Talking about the testimony and the witness of Christ. And our fellowship is with the Father and with the Son, Jesus Christ. We write this to make our joy complete so that we would all see. And then it goes right into walking in the light. And we also talked on Friday about, um, while we were having our discussion about, you know, just a simple, uh, I was blind, but now I can see. And th- this person is the physical I can see. And then when Jesus talks to the leaders and says, you know, you guys are blind. And they're like, you're telling us we're blind? Because Yeah, because you're, you're really walking around in darkness, right? So it's the, and, and I think everybody here talks about this all the time. You would think that the leaders who have studied all of this, who, who I think would have read Malachi and be excited about what's to come, when it comes, are just like, eh, this really can't be it because this is not what I expected or I wanted. Mm, that's good. It rolls into the, that in verse 10, it says that this testimony that John is giving concerning Jesus, he goes on to say in verse 10, he says, you know what? He was in the world. And though the world was made through him, The world did not recognize him. He came to his own, but his own did not receive him. Now, for me, I get the world world didn't see him. I mean, the world wasn't looking for him. But if you were to tell me that the Jews didn't recognize him, it doesn't say that the Jews did not recognize him. It says they did not receive him. He came to his own, and his own did not receive him. When you think about all the prophecies concerning Jesus, there was no way that the Jews could have said, that's not him. They chose not to believe that it was him because they didn't fit whatever their model of who Messiah was, that he was going to come and crush the Romans and the Jews were going to rise to power and conquer the world. I don't know. So, it's pretty specifically, his own, who were, like Doug said, they, they, they were looking for him, but they did not receive him, they rejected him. And 
in John chapter 12, verses 37, starting in verse 37, it says, even after Jesus had performed, it says, even if Jesus had performed so many signs in their presence, they still would not believe in him. Remember when John the Baptist uh, sent his disciples to Jesus, go and see if he is the one, and he says, just go tell them what you see. Now, these weren't the religious leaders. They were just disciples of John. They said, go, go tell them what you see. The lame walk, the blind heal. And they knew. Oh, well, that's, that's the Messiah because that's what Messiah is going to do when Messiah comes. So they, they were really, it was like without excuse. And then it goes on. It says, so there were some that they just, they refused. They would still not believe in him. But starting in verse 42 of John chapter 12, it says, Yet at the same time, many even among the leaders believed in him. So it wasn't this, it's not that 100% of the people rejected him, but the Jews as a whole rejected Jesus. But because of the Pharisees, they would not openly acknowledge their faith for fear that they would be put out of the synagogues, for they loved human praise more than the praise of God. Verse 44 Then Jesus cried out, whoever believes in me does not believe in me only, but the one who sent me. The one who looks at me is seeing the one who sent me. Then verse 46, I have come into the world as a light so that no one who believes in me should not stay in darkness. And so, again, Clearly, they had enough. But as Isaiah prophesied, God would blind them, God would harden them, they would reject Jesus. Jesus says in Matthew chapter 23, verse 37, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you who kill the prophets and stone those who sent you, how often I long to gather you, uh, your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, and yet you were not willing you were not willing for that to take place. Look at your house as left desolate. For I tell you, you will not see me again until you say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. So, <clears throat> he was in the world. The world didn't catch him, didn't see him, didn't recognize him. The Jews rejected him. But verse 12, yet to all who did receive him, to those who believe in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision, nor of a husband's will, but born of God. Now let me ask you this question. Uh, see, can I have that for a second? When you think about the name of Jesus, when you think about Jesus, just in simple words, what do you think about? Jesus. Okay. Savior, Redeemer, King. Pardon? Life. Sacrifice. How about this? What do you think of when you think of this idea to believe in the name of Jesus? Salvation, okay. Okay. 
only represent somebody else? Power. Power. Hope. Hope. Restoration. Restoration. All right. So let's think about this for just a second. For us, a name is really a label to identify somebody. But again, to the Jew, that was not the case. It's not why you name somebody, just as an identifier, as an individual. Then it stood for really the whole person. It expressed the whole person. To believe in his name means to trust the person. To believe in him as he is. It is to believe that God is the God who revealed himself in the word. To put our trust in that name. So it's not just this. It's more than just a simple belief. Is it, is it about, it's really about trusting. So, you know, often we think, you know, I, I run across people all the time say they believe in the name of Jesus. I say, well, kind of validate that for me. What does that mean? So you believe in him for your salvation? And then they kind of look at you, and you believe in him concerning, let's look at him, to be your hope, to be the restorer, to be a healer. And I think sometimes we've got we to gotta drop back a little bit and say, do, do I believe in Jesus? Somebody says the whole of who he is, all that he represents. Do I believe in Jesus? Do I believe in the name? Do I believe in the person of Jesus with my life? If I do, then it's effective with everything in my life. And I think it's a good question for us today. You know, are we, are we believing in Jesus, in who he is? Because here it says, all who did receive him, to those who believe in his name, he gives the right to become the children of God. And so there's this, there's this kind of qualifier that we're going to get, I'm going to, we'll jump into it next week, this qualifier that when Jesus came, Jesus' coming forced decisions. It forced distinctions. That light was coming in the world, and when light came into the world, somebody mentioned it, some embraced it and some rejected it. And they rejected it because they loved their sin. Well, Father, I thank you that uh, you are the God that you said you are. You've never failed. We think sometimes that you've missed it, that you failed, but when we really look at your promises and who you are and the fulfillment of those in our life, how they bear out, we've we often miss an eternal perspective. We often miss when our life is being sifted or our life is being refined. We think that you're not fulfilling your promises, but you have every intention of bringing us into the conformity of the image of your son. And how are you going to do that? Well, sometimes it's by taking things away. Sometimes it's through a hard process of purging. So you are faithful, and I'm thankful for that. Thankful to be called your child. Thankful for the salvation you provide in Jesus' name.